Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are in part three of a Character Profiles series on the life of Joseph. And in part three, we're going to look at the providence of God and how he turns Joseph's misfortune around 180 degrees to the astonishment of Egypt's elites. Through Joseph, God will give a plan that will save Egypt from a coming destruction. In the end, Joseph will be identified by all of Egypt as the savior and sustainer of the world. It is in this that he is identified with the Messiah. From Joseph's life, we can better understand God's desire to save, to deliver, to restore, and sustain life. All that we see in Joseph's life will be brought into its fullness or into its fullness in the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Yeshua, who is not only son of David, but if you've read his genealogy, he's also the son of who? Joseph. For he is the final and he is the ultimate suffering servant who also saves the world from sin and shame. So keep in mind as we jump back into this story that Joseph respects and honors his pagan owners. He's a slave. They own him. To him or to them, he's a piece of property. But nonetheless, regardless of that, he respects and honors his pagan owners, and his pagan authorities. He doesn't call them out. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't subvert them. He does not rebel against, uh, rebel against them. He understands God's sovereignty over his life and God's providential care. He honors them and yet does not compromise one iota in his fidelity to the king of heaven. Joseph, we saw this last week, was accused falsely, convicted, and thrown into prison. Via God's favor, he again rises in the prison to an overseer position. Later, he interprets the dream of two different elite political prisoners. And by doing so, it, it will result in him being brought before Pharaoh, who is king of the world. Now the Pharaoh will have a series of dreams that deeply troubles him. And his professional dream interpreters will not be able to interpret what they mean. Stage is set by God for the rise of Joseph. I'm going to jump into the story here. Pharaoh's had his dreams. He's troubled. He's shaken. He has called forth his dream interpreters and they're unable to understand the dreams. Everyone's worried because the Pharaoh's very upset. And when Pharaohs get upset, like most kings, they can have your head on a platter for almost nothing. So everyone's pretty nervous here. And one of these political prisoners whom Joseph interpreted the dream that they had in prison 
and thus they were set free. That was part of what, what the dream revealed. Well, this chief cupbearer finally speaks out for Joseph. He should have spoken out when he got out of prison. Two years have passed, but he finally speaks out. Genesis 41 and verse 9 and reading. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth, Joseph, was with us there and a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he, had sh- when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Keep in mind, God often speaks through dreams. His number one primary way that he's going to speak is through his word. But in addition to that, he'll use dreams and visions. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of interpretation, by the way. And Joseph is a man of the Spirit of God. And he has this gift of interpretation. Your gift will make way for you to be brought before powerful, powerful influencers. Joseph being brought before Pharaoh through his gift of dream interpretation. Verse 16, Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not from me, or I'm sorry, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean, ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet, when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears full of good came up up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to the Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one and the same. 
The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years of the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind. They will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to the Pharaoh. God has shown to the Pharaoh what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine. For it will be very severe. Now as for repeating the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming up and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Verse 38 and 39. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Joseph knew his gift came from God. In fact, that's what he led with when Pharaoh asked him to interpret the dream. He says, oh, there's nothing in me that can do that. But God has a message for the king. In other words, my gift comes from heaven. It's not in me. It comes from heaven. And Pharaoh recognizes that in Joseph is the divine. In Joseph, for the Pharaoh to really catch what's going on behind the scenes. I want us to think of Jesus because Joseph is the forerunner of Jesus. Joseph is the suffering Messiah who really foreshadows the coming ultimate Messiah. In him, too, is the Spirit of God. Matthew chapter 3, 16 through 17 says this concerning Yeshua. John, after baptizing him, it says, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mark it well. The Spirit of God coming, descending like a dove, rested on Jesus. 
This was the beginning. This marked him out as the ultimate Joseph. Jesus himself would carry the fullness of the Spirit like no one ever had before or thereafter. Let's come back to our story, Genesis 41.40. He says to Joseph, You shall be over my house. Can you imagine this? Joseph is a Hebrew. He's a foreigner. He's just come up out of the prison house. For Pharaoh, in that setting, without even vetting him, to appoint him over his house was truly a move of God on Pharaoh's heart. Joseph must have been as shocked as the elites standing in the palace that day, hearing in their own ears the Pharaoh saying, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. An act of worship. Can you see the exaltation of, of Joseph here? This is like, it, this is like, Shocking to everyone around. According to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Only in the matter of the throne itself shall I be above you. Just a little bit. In that one matter will I be above you. Think again of the Messiah. Let's go to the Psalms. This is a Messianic Psalm, chapter 2, speaking of the coming ultimate Messiah. God says to him, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, kings of the earth, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord in reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. See the connecting points. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Verse 24. Then comes the end, when he, the Messiah, Christ, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Like Joseph, A king gave to Jesus all power and all authority to rule and reign. In fact, it was the king of kings and lord of lords who gave Jesus the kingdom, the power, 
and the authority to rule and reign over everything. And then in the end, he gives the kingdom back to God. In the same way that Pharaoh was over Joseph, so God the Father is over his son. But he has given to the son all power, authority, and glory. Verse 25, for he, Yeshua, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Verse 27, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. The Father has said to the Son, everything is yours, all power, glory, and authority. Here's the kingdom. Rule and reign, Son, until your enemies enemies are made a footstool for you. You are going to be equal to me in every way, in all things, other than in the throne itself. In the end, Jesus will give that back to his Father, that his Father may be all in all. Back to Joseph, the forerunner of Messiah. Genesis 41, verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of the day. Egypt was a world empire. Egypt was the known world. Joseph has been given authority over the known world. He becomes the king of the world, if you will. John 5, 22 through 23, concerning Jesus, it says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. All will honor the Son equally as they honor the Father. For the Father has given to the Son all that he has. Therefore, in that sense, he's equal in power and glory and authority, as is the Father. It says, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Those that do not honor the Son do not honor the Father, even if they say so with their lips. The Son has, or the Father has empowered the Son to rule and reign. The Father's not rule and reigning. The Father has given that to His Son. This is all about Jesus. Until Jesus gives the kingdom back to the Father, it's all about the Son. Do you think anyone in Egypt could have said, Joseph, don't tell us what to do. You're just a Hebrew slave. You just watch what you say to us. We're Egyptians. The Pharaoh would have their head. The Pharaoh said, you better bow your knee to my son, who I've appointed over everything, Joseph, the Hebrew. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that, the, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and also on earth and those under the earth, speaking of the underworld, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Yeshua, Jesus, is above every name. All authority has been given to him. Just like Pharaoh says, everyone will obey Joseph, the Father saying, everyone's going to obey my son Jesus. Later, we'll get to it. Pharaoh says to everyone in Egypt, in the presence of Joseph, you bow the knee. The father says of the son, every knee is going to bow to my son. They're going to confess that he is, in fact, God with us. This quote, actually, I believe it's from Isaiah. It's somewhere in the Tanakh. You can look it up. But the phrase, every knee will bow, is also joined with the Father who he, who he proclaims that He Himself is, in fact, the Lord. What this is saying is, I want you to confess my Son as Lord over all, for everything's been given to Him. And when you confess Him as Lord... King of kings, Lord of lords, you honor me. You've shown honor and respect to the Father. Until the kingdom's given back, everything's about Yeshua. You can try to make it about the Father, but the Father's saying, stop it. It's about my son. He's on the throne. Bow your knee to him. Don't diss me by dissing him. Genesis 41, verse 44. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. The more that we read about the life of Joseph, we see that he's the forerunner of Yeshua. That what he does in this realm and this world, Yeshua does in the greater realm of the universe itself. Verse 45, Then Pharaoh named Joseph zephaneth paneah and he gave him Azaneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. She... She is the daughter of a high priest. This high priest serves as the high priest of the most popular cult in Egypt, the cult of the sun. 
They worshiped the sun as the main astral god of the heavens. It's the most popular religion. I want you to think of, of, this, of this priest of On as the most influential religious person of the day. He's the official Egyptian elite religious leader of the day. And he gives to Joseph his daughter as a wife. It just gets better and better and better. Joseph, exalted in so many different ways, and now given this very influential woman as a wife. And it says, And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt, coming out of the dungeon, the lowest place in Egypt. He was in a political prison, in a dungeon below the earth. And out of the dungeon in one day, in one, he, go, he goes from the dungeon, prison clothes, stinky, right? He bathes, gets cleaned up, interprets the dream, and he walks out of the palace with a woman on his arm, with a crown on his head, with a signet ring, and he has all the power and glory and authority that could be given to anyone in Egypt in one day. With God, all things are possible. It doesn't matter what's going on all around us. I'm not discouraged. I'm so excited. When things get dark and treacherous, I'm thinking, what's God going to do? This is getting exciting. Life was boring pre-COVID. This is the real deal now. She didn't say it was boring. It was boring four years ago. But in 2016, things got exciting, and it's just been climbing ever since. Let's look at the name Zephaneth Paneah. It has three probable meanings. I would, I would say it's probably a collage of all three. The first one is that it means revealer of hidden things, because he was a dream interpreter. He revealed to the king the hidden things in the dream. The next one is that it can re, uh, be in reference to God speaks and he lives. The idea that God spoke to Pharaoh and brought life in the context of what ultimately would have brought death. Or the third one, it means creator, sustainer. A reference that, you know, Joseph will create from the dream a plan that will sustain the whole world. I think it's probably all of that. I want us to think of the work of Joseph for a moment. What Joseph does is the work of a Savior. The work of Joseph is that of a Savior. Let's put that slide up for a moment. The work of Joseph, number four, is that of a Savior. He saves Egypt and the known world from famine and starvation. 
He saves and sustains the world. Egypt was the known world of the day. People came from all over the empire to Joseph to be saved. In that sense, Joseph becomes the savior of the world. No wonder the sages saw in Joseph the Messiah. The two central messianic figures in pre-first century Judaism are Messiah ben Joseph and Messiah ben David, the suffering servant who dies for his people and makes atonement for their sins and the ruling and reigning Messiah that saves them in the end. Little did they know that Yeshua is, in fact, both Messiahs. He's both the suffering servant, and we will soon see that he is the reigning, ruling Messiah who will eliminate evil and evildoers in the end and save the world. Verse 46 to 49. Now, Joseph was 30 years old, pretty young. Pretty young when he came into his glory, right? 30's pretty young. I'm saying that from experience. So was Jesus. So was Jesus, very young, when he was given the rule and reign of the kingdom of God. He started his rule and reign at a very early age. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. I'm going to conclude today with some statements, and then I think we'll have a little bit of time for some questions and answers. Joseph is a type and shadow of Yeshua, the suffering Messiah. Yeshua not only is referred to as the son of David, he is also the son of Joseph. He comes first as the suffering Messiah, bearing the sins of the world, and atoning for them in his astonishing and breathtaking crucifixion. He dies, he's buried, he descends into the underworld. Apparently, his ultimate defeat. But it's there and then that he strips Satan and his angels from their power and makes a mockery of them. He then rises from the dead receives all glory, power, and authority from the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits at the right hand of El Elyon, the Most High God, and begins his rule and reign over heaven and earth. It's been going on for nearly 2,000 years now. He will forgive and save all who are willing. He will subjugate all unrepentant doers of evil. 
He will then return to judge the living and the dead. After cleansing creation of evil, he will then give the kingdom back to his father and will submit himself under the compassionate, righteous rule and reign of El Elyon, God Most High. People, Yeshua is on the throne. Heaven stands behind him. He established his kingdom on earth 2,000 years ago as a mustard seed. It's been growing ever since. We are here to join him in advancing his kingdom. A righteous rule, a compassionate rule, where forgiveness is offered to everyone who will confess their sins. A redemption, a forgiveness, a compassionate reconciliation with the Father. It's in him that we are being saved. It's in him that the kingdom of God is coming. We live in some very desperate times, and it's going to get worse. I've been saying that since March. It's going to get worse. But Jesus Christ is above all of that. He's orchestrating that. He's bringing to pass His will. Don't be confused by looking around at all this taking place and assume that it's out of control and that God is, you know, not able to help us. It's actually the opposite. All that happens to you and me, all that we, we would have to go through or are going to go through, He will use to bring about His good pleasure. And in the end, it will benefit us. So let's not get caught up in the fray. Let's recognize who we are. The children of the King. Let's give hope to people around us. Let's make sure they understand who God is and what He's doing. We are the hope of the nation. There's a peace in us. There's a peace in me. I'm telling you right now, people, are their hearts are failing them. There's a lot of fear right now over the last couple of days. The fear is just spreading over our land like a tidal wave. I've had people, you know, reaching out to me I've never met before. They said, pray for me. They're asking me, pray for them. They want me to literally, you know, write prayers, say prayers for them. And, you know, the number one thing that they're asking for is, I'm overwhelmed with fear. I'm afraid something bad is about to happen. Where's God? Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Oh, yeah. You bet I can. Let's take care of that fear. Fear not, the Lord is with you. It's going to be okay. I've read this story over and over and over. History simply repeats itself. Everything's going to be okay. You and I have that message. You and I have that mandate. Let's be the people of God reaching out to those around us. He's getting the nation ready for repentance. The nation has not repented over this last year with COVID. They didn't turn to God. I believe God's going to bring a series of judgments to our nation beginning this year. In fact, I, 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 wrote, I wrote on, on New Year's Eve. I, I, you know, on New Year's Eve, I couldn't go to sleep. 
I just sat up. I was praying. And, and you know what God gave me? I just, you know, in fact, I, I'm going to read this to you. I, I want to read this to you because this is what I sense God was saying coming into 2021. I believe God was giving us many opportunities in 2020. I believe with COVID, God was giving us opportunities to really bow our knee to his son and begin to turn back to him. And the nation didn't do it. So this is what I wrote on New Year's uh, Eve or on, um, yeah, the 31st. And I posted this on my Facebook. A word for those who have ears to hear. 2020, question mark. So the USA did not repent of her love affair with butchering little boys and little girls in the wombs of their mothers. And I want to stop there and just say, um, abortion is horrible. But I don't say that to throw guilt on anybody. I want to say sin is sin and we're all caught up in it. The message of God is, hey, confess your sin. I'm compassionate. I am forgiving. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. So I don't say these things to, to, to throw guilt on you. I say these things to get you to turn to the one who will forgive you and cleanse you. America did not repent of her love affair with butchering little boys and little girls in the wombs of their mothers. She did not repent of her love affair with sexual immorality perversion, and gender dysphoria. She, America, wants mob rule rather than the rule of law. She is in the process of, ab of abandoning her Declaration of Independence as well as her Constitution and Bill of Rights. Seduced by Marxism, she views herself as her own God and her own Savior. In light of this, I believe the curses she is beckoning will make 2020 look like a walk in the park. My word to followers of Yeshua the Messiah, regroup. Regroup. Get back into your churches, your congregations, your synagogues. Together we will follow God's lead and trust Him for our protection in the coming days and months of intensified curses and judgments on a nation who is in the process of abandoning the Creator and His laws. We are in an existential battle with evil. Wake up! If you think you and your family will navigate 2021 by yourself, I have a phrase for you. P-O-W. You're going to end up being a prisoner of war in this fight against evil. So return, return, return. There is safety in the pack. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. There are resources in the communities of faith. Come back, come back, come back before you were caught up and swept away in the growing, deceptive, and violent mob rule of godless Marxism. Make no doubt about it. We just saw an example of that three days ago. There were plenty of, of some pretty good, naive people that were up at the Capitol to protest peacefully. They got swept up in the excitement and the passion, 
and ended up going into the Capitol illegally after it was broken into. I don't know if you saw the videos. They're staying in line. They're law-abiding, you know, walking through with their cameras on like they're tur- tourists. And I'm thinking, what do you think's going on? What are you doing? They were being swept up in a very evil, violent thing that they weren't even aware of. People run with the pack, stay in communities. There's wisdom and resources in the communities. If you run alone, you're going to get deceived and swept up in this whole movement of darkness in our land. So be careful. Get plugged in. Stay together. There's safety in the pack. Then I'm writing another one, just heavy on my heart. I just sensed God was saying to me the other day, son, the first thing I did in Egypt, when Egypt was refusing really to listen, I turned their Nile into blood. I said, what was that about? I mean, I don't get that. Just since the father was saying, the Nile represented their economic system. The Nile, the Nile represented so much prosperity. It just fed them in so many ways. It was their prosperity. It was their economics. And that was the first thing that I touched. Since the Father saying, I'm going to touch this economy. It's been strong for a long, long time. It's strong even now. Makes no rhyme, no reason. It's so strong, and everyone's scratching their head saying, how is this even possible? I believe within the next six months, and probably more around Passover, we're going to start to see some significant downturns in the economy that will not only be downturns, will will continue to spiral down for months and probably years. And it's going to be the first of a series of judgments that God's going to bring on this nation who apparently voted for darkness, voted for the party that's pro-killing, pro-sexual perversion, anti-liberty. Man, I'm telling you right now, our nation didn't learn, didn't listen And now the game is on, and God's going to shake us and the world like never before. But I also sense the Father saying, just like he said to Isaiah when he brought judgment to his people in Isaiah's day. He said, Isaiah, be sure to tell the righteous in the land, fear not, it will go well with you. But tell the wicked among my people, Woe, for judgment is coming. So even in spite of all that's going to take place, and it will get scary from time to time, I want to say to you who love the Lord, who are walking in His ways, it's going to be okay. He's going to watch over you. He's the one that's orchestrating it. So just stay plugged in, love on Him, run with the pack, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be the lights of the nation. Read the Exodus. Read the story. Get the principles. Get your game on. There's lots of work to do. And together, we're going to bring 
We're going to bring a mighty, mighty number of people into the kingdom of God who, who after, after being just tossed and turned and terrified in the signs and wonders that are coming will finally turn and bow their knee to Yeshua's name and get saved and liberated, healed and restored. It's, it's so good. It's so good. So, Shalom to you. Shabbat Shalom.